0: Hey
1: everyone, welcome to Kill Me Now with Judy Gold. I am your host, Judy Gold. This week, we do have an interview with Jay Rodriguez from, uh, part one of my interview with Jay Rodriguez from Qu- for the straight guy. What a great interview. What a great guy. Uh I'm now going to clear my throat cuz there's something stuck in there and it's annoying me. Ready? <clears throat> okay, that wasn't that bad. So, yeah, so it was we had so much fun. I really love talking to him. So, we have that today. I want you to know I am doing a tour uh for Israel to I mean, I, I, don't, I don't even, I mean, we could talk about it, but you know, I know you're sick of hearing about it. But uh, I'm going to be in Boca, Boca on Thursday night at the Boca Black Box with my friends Rich Voss, Aaron Berg, Olga Nehmer, Um, And we are doing a stand up show to support the friends of the IDF. Oh, this weekend, Friday and Saturday, I am in Beverly, Massachusetts. Beverly, Massachusetts. Beverly. Yeah. So I'm at Beverly, Massachusetts at Off Cabot. One show Friday at eight, two shows Saturday, 6.30 and nine. Woo! Massachusetts. You know, I love Massachusetts. So I'm working lots and we have more of the, uh, up for Israel shows, uh, that we're going to be announcing. And I just want you to know that yesterday or no, well, yesterday I'm, 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 uh, Recording this on Monday, uh, Martin Luther King's birthday, and Martin Luther King, civil rights activist, friend of the Jews, friend of the Jews, and um, Jews, friend of Martin Luther King Jr. So hopefully someone somewhere will do a little dive today and say, wow, Martin Luther King Jr. was against anti-Semitism and was supported by so many Jewish people, um, maybe I'll rethink my hatred of Jews. Could that happen? (laughs) Judy, what are you talking about? No. (laughs) 100 days, 100 days of these innocent people who were in their beds in their bed sleeping, at a concert for peace, murdered, raped, set on fire, beheaded, mutilated, and there's still 136 of them. And, you know... Oh, I just wanted to say one thing. Fuck you, Susan Sarandon. Okay, I can't, I really can't, I cannot stand her. I cannot, like, I can't even look at her with her little smug look, like, what a fucking idiot. So she gets on my last gay and lesbian nerve. But, you know, even writing, even posting about the hundred days since October 7th and, and that there are still hostages And I still get, I get hate. I get hate. People, they can't even acknowledge, they can't even acknowledge that Israel has a right to defend itself and that these hostages are innocent people. You know, they were all, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here. They were all peaceniks. They were all, you know, a lot of them a lot some some of these um uh kibbutzes had Palestinian workers on them. Like I, I just don't the, the fact that these you know and, and the and the term pro-Palestinian just drives me up a fucking wall. It's not like we're against Palestinians, we're against Hamas. We're against Hamas. We want to free the Palestinians from Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist organization. Like it's, it, it stop saying the Israel Gaza war or the Israeli Palestinian war. It's the Israel and Hamas war. Okay, that's what it is. You speak. You hear any IDF person? They want to free the Palestinians from Hamas. And let me tell you something. You want a fucking ceasefire, release the hostages and stop saying that your only goal on earth is to eradicate the Jews and get rid of the state of Israel. Okay. Those things and you're done. And then there's a ceasefire. Ugh, it's just so fucking annoying. I can't t- It's like really annoying, but I had great shows this weekend. Um, City Winery in New York, packed to the gills. Great crowd, great crowd at uh, City Winery Philly, almost sold out, but what a great crowd. And, and a lot of Jews who want to laugh and want to talk about this stuff and want to be in a room where we can use humor as a coping mechanism, since we've used it as a coping mechanism for our entire uh, existence, pretty much. So, yeah. New York Times, really getting on my nerves. A lot of opinions that are are just ridiculous. Um, although I read it. I read the other side. I do read the other side because I want to know what they're saying. Also, the Iowa caucuses, which are tonight, because uh, this is Monday that I'm recording this. So we'll know the results by the time you hear this. And it just fucking causes me stress. Like, Iowa caucus, New Hampshire, like, the fact that that fucking piece of shit is, gets one vote. That he gets one vote. It just drives me up a fucking wall. So, you know, I'm stressed out. I I don't know if you guys are. um, I've been meditating. I have been working out. My knee's doing very well, as the people who came to my show can... I was standing, I was walking around. It still hurts. It hurts, it clicks, it's tight, it's, you know, I can't do everything, but definitely it's fun to be able to stand up straight because I couldn't bend that leg for so many years. But so, yeah, my shows have been great, great audiences. Um, I just want to give a shout out, uh, in Philly, I met a guy named Sam who told me he listens to the end every time He's a huge fan. Sam, I loved meeting you. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, He also told me not to change the name of Kill Me Now, even though I really want to rebrand. Because I feel like Kill Me Now, like it's, I know it's how my attitude, but I do talk about other things. So please write to me or DM me or whatever, and let me know what you think. And if you have any great names. Um, that you can think of, like, you know, it's Judy's podcast or something like that. I don't know. Uh, what else do I have to tell you? I I don't know. I just, um, yeah, I just want to say we got to, you know, Jews have shown up historically for all marginalized people. Please show up for, come on. And what we've contributed to the world. Oh, it's just so fucking annoying. It's just it's mind boggling the anti semitism. Anyway, but we're not gonna we're not gonna be negative, are we? Yes, I am. So, um, I just you know I want you to forget about everything for the next forty minutes or what I don't know how long this the part one interview is, but it's probably about that because Jay Rodriguez is awesome. And we had a great, great conversation, and you're going to love it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy part one of my interview with Jay Rodriguez.
2: That's that's me, and I'm really hoping she does not.
1: Oh, I love her. Oh my god, she's so cute.
2: I have a dog too, but he's still at the sitter because I just flew in yesterday, and she's sick. The sitter's sick, and so she's like, "I don't. Can I just hold on to him another day? I don't want to get you sick." I said, "Sure." And somehow when my dog's not around, my cat's like extra vocal. So I don't know.
1: Wait, do I'm, this is a question uh, that I've never asked anyone, but can, oh my God, can a do- a pet carry a, a cold and make you sick?
2: I don't know if there's transference, but I think there was a short window of time where, we thought COVID was like dogs were getting, but dogs are getting you know, like their own version of some kind of respiratory thing. But I think she's just, a, she's just, yeah, annoyed that I wasn't here for a week. And she's Siamese, she's a long Siamese, so apparently they're very vocal, which I'm yeah. used to, just not... Usually the dog plays kind of like defense, like he, he basically wrangles her if she's being too noisy, so I don't have to worry about it. It's very bizarre. You
1: know, if people... Ladies, gentlemen, they, thems, if you don't recognize that voice, then you've been living in a cave, especially if you're one of my fans and you're a gay, uh, everyone that, oh, um, I'm sorry. You, I, you don't, Jay, you don't know about the, uh, Jew bell, um, which anytime I mention anything remotely Jewish, I ring a bell, you know. Just to show how much we've contributed to the world. And now it has yeah. even more meaning, but I might have to have a new bell, which is a gay bell. Ooh. You know what I mean? Cause this is going to be a very like? gay show. I don't know. It'd be very. It might
2: have to be like some kind of like, you know, xylophone or some kind yes. of. Deals It'll have to have a thing.
1: melody. Right. Or yes. something. Yeah. Anyway, ladies, gentlemen, they, them's Emmy Award winner, actor, singer, uh, 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 cabaret, Broadway. T- I-, I mean, amazing, so talented, culture expert.
2: Listen, I, I feel like just a typical Puerto Rican with sixteen jobs, and if you want to stay in this industry long time, you got to do it all. So
1: a typical Puerto Rican with sixteen jobs. <laughs> Our guest today is the one and only Jay Rodriguez, everyone. Jay. Jay, Why? we have a mutual friend, um, who is Probably the meanest. Lot. Yeah. Who is the meanest person on earth, Carson Cressley. Just the sarcasm dripping. He's so fucking funny. And yeah, I he love gets him away so much.
2: We just did a queer Eye reunion in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, because he's from Allentown. He had right. the hookup. And he orchestrated an entire stage spectacular where the talent just showed up, and there were all these moving parts that looked like we'd rehearsed the show for months.
1: He's unbelievable. Wild. He unbelievable. is so talented. You know, he's funny. He's engaging. But his eye is—he, I'm telling you—and I, I didn't even put together queer eye, but he has such yeah. a fucking eye. It's not even funny.
2: So I can tell you why that is. He's always listening. Judy, he will remember where you're from, your kids' names, something interesting about the town you're from. It's this weird party trick where he just absorbs. And I think that's what helps him have such a critical eye when making decisions on things.
1: Yeah, and you know, a lot of people don't listen. They're not listeners. And uh, Mm -hmm. that gets them in a lot of trouble. But you know what? I think because he's such a good listener, he has the upper hand always.
2: Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of people will forget his ability to give a good callback
1: to something.
2: Uh, He only gets the last laugh because he's been listening. He would
1: be a great comic, but it's such a shitty life. Anyway, Jay, uh, if people don't know you, you were the culture guide for Queer Eye. I mean, that's really what put you on the map, even though you've done so many other things. But I always, you know, I do, I like to research my my, uh, guests and I'm, always fascinated with their childhoods. And yours is one that is quite interesting. You were born in Brentwood, New York. You are the, uh, you're a Puerto Rican and Italian. You grew up in an evangelical Christian home with a single parent, a mother.
2: Yes. I mean, I don't know how much you know about evangelicals, but anything's, anything you've seen, if you saw that Mandy Moore movie back in the early 2000s called Saved, anything that's campy. I mean, if we've gotten great shows about the mega church movement, we went from a small church, which actually I thank them for my philanthropy every weekend, feeding the homeless and everything. But it was also... Women need to be covered below their knees, wear a head covering, um, speaking in tongues, casting out of demons. So I'm 11 holding down full grown adults who are in demonic possession. I mean, Kelly, who works at the bank. I mean, this is like, you know what I mean? Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> I'm at a prayer breakfast in someone's house holding down an adult as some other adult, praise a demon out of them. And that was my normal. We eventually landed in a megachurch that was, you know, cool, where the music sounded like the radio, right. just about Jesus. Um, and at the same time, low-key going to performing arts high school and smuggling in burnt CDs of like Rent and Phantom and Les Mis right, and right. writing Amy Gretchen. So I wouldn't you get know, caught.
1: You I- know, I wonder, You're you're this young kid you're in this church. I mean, you don't know anything different. I mean, we know a lot of people who, I mean, even regular, I mean, regular religions, but there's, there are zealots on, in every religion, but evangelicals are not really prominent in -hmm. New York. You know, I'm saying New York by the city, New York, I'm sure upstate New York there. And you went to public school, right? I
2: did, which was such a weird catch-22 because it was my window into pop culture. No TV, no secular music at home. So anything you learn about what's happening outside of your church community was what I learned at school.
1: At what age did you realize, wait, I am growing up in a way different household than everyone else I know?
2: Probably performing arts high school and having to make excuses for why my mother wouldn't come to things or, like, right. you know, why maybe I was ill prepared because I couldn't, re- you know, listen to the music to memorize the songs. Right. There was like certain things that I started. I think the fact, Judy, that I had to keep it, I knew there were some things that I couldn't. So, talk you, b-
1: about. B- you know, like, you knew that you had to keep this evangelical situation a secret.
2: Right. And which already. I think when I was in it, I never fully bought it. And they have this scripture verse, like train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he'll never depart from it or something like that. Right, right. And it didn't work on me. I mean, I really felt the grooming and, um, the indoctrination at a very early age. Here's what really tipped it. Because I was a singer, they positioned me to like always be, especially in the mega church, the frequent soloist. So I was backstage a lot and I got to see people before they became the minister, whatever. I got to see them in their most authentic way. When you're behind the curtain. You're like, huh, something's not right here. And then you see the pomp and circumstance when they get on a mic and you're like, Okay.
1: This is a big show. It's all a show. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There was this, there was this, I was dating this girl because, you know, when you're gay, and by the way, did not even know what that was, but I knew I didn't like her the way, but, you know, Christians got to save yourself to marriage. So I dated a former slut. This way people thought maybe something was happening. Right. And this new kid came into youth group and he was cool. He had a truck and he, you know, he always want to hang out with me and her. One day we drop her off home and he like starts hitting on me and we are in my like parking, uh, like space at, at my, at my house. And I, and I, he literally basically tried like grabbing me or fondling me, whatever. And I got so anxious and nervous when I went inside. My mom was watching. (gasps) My mom was watching. So she knew something happened. She kept it, talked to me the next day. And I told her exactly what happened. We go to the church at this point, the straight guy went around telling a, my girlfriend that I'd come on to him. My mom saw the whole thing. So she knew. Right. So right. we went, so I got called into, this is a 2,500 person per service mega church. I got called in for the six pastors and they were like, you know, we heard you're trying to turn people that way, Blah blah blah. And mind you, that's the closest thing I'd ever come to even doing anything with a boy.
1: Right, I'm right. 16,
2: 17. And they said, we prayed on this. And we think you're lying, and we've spoken to God. And when they said that, I was like, you're full of shit. Right. It was the first time my mom and I were on the same page. The fact that we knew something was happening, and these men were confidently telling us, you're a liar, and God said you're a liar. And we were right. like, wow. It was a, such a beautiful aha moment because a year later I'd end up like leaving to go play a queer character and and using the character to sort of right. come out to my mom. But I had to own something I'd never done. So when I was leaving to go play a drag queen in Rent, I, I came out, but I had never done anything. I just knew that my feelings toward guys weren't what I thought they were, which is, I want to be like him. Right, or, right. I mean, like, no, I yes. just didn't know how this worked. And certainly you're not going to put things where poop comes out. So like, I thought it was a cruel joke only being played on me. I didn't know gay people growing up or at least out
1: ones. Hey everyone, you know, 50% off that's code Judy gold 50 at factormeals.com com slash Judy gold 50 and get 50% off. It's worth it. You're welcome. Was it just you and your mom? I couldn't find siblings it was. anywhere.
2: My, my, yeah. Yeah. My, my, my dad left when I was three and My mom, that was not uncommon, I think, in our family history. And I think I was, I grew up with my grandmother. My mom had me young. We moved back in with my grandmother who got remarried the year I was born. So my grandmother got her youngest daughter back and with a baby. And my grandmother was the local babysitter. So she raised me. And my mom and I always felt like siblings. Um, And then living together when I was like 13 to 18, we felt like roommates. So we never really had that. Like my, there was a moment when we weren't getting along, went to therapy and the therapist said, Janet, he is your son. He's not your partner. He's not your equal. Like, so, so she didn't really know how to function with me. I didn't know how to function with her, but the, the, what came from that was we did not develop a healthy mother son relationship, which really made leaving and going to like figure out who I was a lot easier. She then remarried the family friend the year I was born and a baby comes in two years later when I'm 20, but she's married someone more evangelical than me or or, or we were. And so then there was a lot of talk of, I don't want him around our son. He's going to make him that way.
1: Fucking, I want to fucking punch his face in. Go ahead.
2: So you're going to die, but like, you know, so we had, I moved to LA, maybe 2006. He has to be at this point. I don't know. He's probably a kid, six, seven years old. And I have maybe met him twice. And then I think I flew them out. Cause you try to buy your, your family's love oh, to yeah. like a sick one. Cause you know, Lily Tomlin was in it and Reba and I got them all things. I flew them out and did all the things. And I got to hang out with him then, but I was a stranger to him. So even though he was 12 or whatever he was, he didn't know me, you know? And Judy, he bought a ticket and came to my cabaret show.
1: No like way. Like last month.
2: I met him as a 24-year-old grown-ass man with a girlfriend. It was the most bizarre. And wow. my show talks a about my upbringing. And I was like, how much do I need to dance around my relationship with my mother. I don't want to ruin his, but I realized he's a grown ass man at this point. And I think I never drag people for the sake of it. I just tell my truth and, and try not to like scorch the earth in the process. And what was beautiful from it was, cause I do talk about the family dynamic a little bit afterwards. He was like, it's, it's funny. He's like, I think we had our own level of crazy growing up, you know, oh, so and he I meant, didn't even yeah. think about that. But he didn't have just cause he had two parents and they, you know, I thought he had a different experience than me, but people are who they are. And I'm sure right. my mother parented similarly, um, even though we were different and they had different dynamics, but to meet him as a grown person, because Judy, I didn't want to like reach out. Once he had social media, he followed me. And I was like, I don't know how to like say, I'm sorry. I wasn't around for you.
1: Not my choice though. It wasn't your choice.
2: I wanted to explain. I never wanted to disparage your parents. I never wanted to do any of these things, right. but I also didn't right. know what they told you about me. And I was like, I don't, so it's nice now to be able to form a relationship with him. Um, and that's the, you know separate- what
1: I know, I know because I'm a mom and a divorced one that kids figure it out. They, you know, you, you don't have to tell them anything. They figure out the truth. So yeah. here you are, this little boy, um, you're in New York, you have this crazy sort of relationship with your mother and a crazy church. And it's just, you know, you're, you're knowing and like intrinsically knowing I can't talk about this just reminds me. I mean, I knew I was gay when I was like three, but I knew, I knew you cannot talk about, like, no one tells you. Just there's no representation anywhere. And if there is, on the on the very unlikely chance there is, it's not a positive one. And so that which also makes me think how weird it is that there are still kids who take time to come out when we do have representation. I mean, it's still
2: you said crazy. And I want to, I want to tell you, but you were accurate because when I joke, I'm trying to still in the process of repairing some kind of normal relationship that I can have with my mother. And, um, I referenced something comedically about the casting out of demons, whatever. And she said, um, yeah, that was early on in my relationship with God where I was, you know, making mistakes. And so there was this interesting acknowledgement of I knew that that wasn't right. And now in hindsight, I know that that's not where my belief system lies with all the practices that were very bizarre. And uh, it was actually nice because I was holding on to God for her changed. What she told me he was changed from casual Catholicism to super evangelical to easygoing everyday Christian and all these things that were in between. And that my takeaway was she believes in, all those things to this day. And so it was really right. interesting because I think there's a level of crazy of what we experienced together that could comedically bond us. And I'm glad we can kind of lightly joke about it now.
1: Do, what was it like, just for someone who never experienced that, like watching these people get the devil taken out of, like what What did that entail? And then when when you left, and you entered the real world and went to the diner or whatever, like, and had to enter society. Like, what was that like?
2: So it's two things. One, you're looking at the person and you never see them the same.
1: Again, afterwards.
2: Yeah, because you're like, were you faking it? Because I was faking. Right. Like, are you? Are we? It's a Ouija board. You're like, yeah. who's moving it? Right. And so, like, for me, there's so many people that I remember that I, they'll follow me on Facebook or something. And I'm like, ooh and then like <laughs> and then i'm thinking what's going through their mind when right. people are holding them they've now they're slain in the spirit so they faint now they're on the floor and people are like holding them down and then they're getting aggressive verbally and like grunting and making are you cosplaying the devil right. like, is, <laughs> like, i'm just curious like what and how do you know when it's over? Like, do right. you just have your frenzies and then you're like, it's been 10, I feel like we're good. Like, the, the demon <laughs> of jealousy. I, mean, I don't know how it works. And I, and I, and I, during, I remember thinking, like, how long are we doing this? Right. Um, but, but the also the idea that um, there was also where it wasn't self identified demonism, meaning like it wasn't someone doing something and like, oh, there's a demon, let's go cast it out. There yeah. was also like, people in positions of authority telling someone you have the you're you have the spirit of blanking you and we need to get that out of you. So then there was like a set mission.
1: Oh, so they already knew they already knew who they were, yeah, who the right. devil was. So they, was they were like what, pulling
2: uh, out yeah. these things based on what they call a testimony. A testimony is like a share and a AA or something where right. people are you know, maybe talking about uh, something that they're struggling with or whatever. And they're like, and thanks to God, I'm really working on it or whatever. And then I think in my mind, the, the the ministers or whoever would seize that opportunity as a vehicle and heal them from it. But it was a creepy, scary time. I mean, we, we, there was a lot of bizarre things. Like one of the, they, in this church, they had a pastor and they had evangelists that were like. They sat with the pastor, so it'd be like evangelist Kim, evangelist prophetess, blah blah blah, and even saying it out loud sounds wild. But like, there was one who faked a pregnancy no for nine months.
1: Way, no way, girl. What, did she ever get fat? She did. She get the the ba- fake
2: baby. Put on a fake baby thing, oh and my, my mom God. went to a pre- I, We went to a baby shower. <laughs> this is the same woman who you're gonna die. You're gonna die. This woman, her husband. He got married to a guy. He came out as gay. And then I don't know if he was religious as well. That was before I was at this church. Wait, he came out as
1: gay before he got her pregnant?
2: After they got married. So then we we had to set up a bridal suite for their reunion. Uh So we set up a bridal suite in the church, which had like some kind of random bedroom. That's when she decided... Like nothing happened, but whatever, he didn't go to our church. So then she was pregnant and alone. And so we're always helping her out. And they went to a, like a prayer bunch or something. And I think the pastor who was female kind of knew and basically was like, it's time to let it go. It's time to like, and she took out the stuffing. My mom was like, I was, I was, we all were like, oh,
1: but no way. How long did she
2: do it it, for? Well, like literally till almost term, like literally like, I don't know oh what her plan my. was, but I think about, but Judy, you're 15, you're 14, whatever right. I was. Normal. That was like a normal occurrence. It's, so, it's, wild. it's
1: that is so beyond .com.
2: to not be wed to someone who's a homosexual, to see that as a failure, to try to fix them, and God fixed the problem because he blessed me with a child. What, is she married? She's got an immaculate conception?
1: Like, what the hell? Right. What do you think their obsession with homosexuality is?
2: So I think it's, um, a couple things. One, it's interesting to see how, when I was in rent playing a drag queen, my mother would be at church and, you know, people heard and they would say, Oh, we heard about your son. We're praying for him. She had pray for him. He's trying to be a woman on Broadway. Okay. Then God. five years later, I get queer eye and the mega church of cool Christians watched the show.
1: Of course. And we're like,
2: Oh my God. We saw your son on that show, and my mom was like, I know. And we love it. He's so fat. And so part of it was social fear. What will right. they think of me? Because right. she quickly pivoted to pray for him to, well, you know me, I'm fabulous. So, you know, it's, he gets that from me. You know that, right? I get it. He gets it from me. There was an ownership suddenly when the world was like, we love that, you know, you, that he's famous, Trump's, he's gay.
1: Yeah, a parent's homophobia and uh, not accepting, They're, it's always about them and how people were perceived them. them. It's them and them and narcissism and them. You then go to, um, you went to a Christian school, but then you went to the Long Island High School for the Arts. Did you have yeah. to audition to get in there?
2: This is so wild. There was a there was a vocational system on Long Island called BOCES, which had like, you know, you could go to school to be a photographer, a mechanic, and you do that in tandem half day with your required studies. Oh, uh, we it had that in New had, Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. And they also had a performing arts high school. So when I found out about this in 11th and 12th grade, um, I asked to see if, because I met kids that were going, and I was like, oh, do you have to... So I reached out to the school and they said you need to get permission from your district. I did audition, got in, because, you know, there was looking for boys. That was the biggest game changer of my life because I went from starring in all the high school musicals and stuff to doing my first number in my first class for musical theater, thinking I was killing it. You could not tell me I wasn't. And at the end of my first number, you know, you're like heaving and like giving jazz hands, ready for, you know, the accolades. And the teacher just looked at me and was like, okay, a couple notes. And I was like, wait, what? What? Like I was so shocked that I wasn't the best, you know what I mean? And so when I suddenly had pushback and notes and like from working professionals, like teachers were sometimes just out for a week because they were filming or whatever it was. Um, you know, that was like so inspiring because the discipline and like, I was not, I was never going to be good enough, you know, not, you know, but like, I was never going to get the parental applause from them, which prepared me because right I graduate in June and I get rent that October.
1: But but you had been, you had been singing in the church, right? You were singing gospel since you're 11, right?
2: Yes. Yeah, so you are doing 2,500 seats. So playing a theater of 1,200 on Broadway, I was like, that's all.
1: That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: Just, of course. I need some more, you know. Yeah. So like that wasn't an issue. I think what was really trippy was I'd snuck out of school to see rent like a matinee on a Wednesday with my with classmates and that was like in maybe April two, 1997 to get the show like 6 months later or whatever and look down at the seat that I paid $20 for uh, in the front two rows. You're like, what is life? Wow. Like this is so weird. Yeah.
1: You you did your last two years there. You made new friends. Did you and you did, did. you feel quote unquote normal?
2: I think I did because I yeah, because that was when that was when the whole threesome thing happened with me and that girl and the guy. So my senior year, I was not going to church. Um I, the pastors literally said, like, we do not want you sitting with other you have to sit with your mother. And I was like, screw that. I'm not going to church. Fuck
1: yourself. Who the
2: fuck? Literally. Shut the
1: fuck up. Yeah.
2: So so I was. I was already kind of doing my own thing, but I think what I do like about, um, my church upbringing was that it gave me, um, my driving force is empathy as a person now. And, Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes that works for me and sometimes it doesn't, but I'm able to, um, be devil's advocate before open my mouth on things to kind of just get where someone's coming from, even if I don't agree with their position. Um, so, So when I was in school and meeting people who had these dreams, first of all, Judy, I don't know you can make money. I I mean, obviously, we're always struggling, but as actor, as performers, but I didn't know that people really had career. I never met somebody who thought they were going to do this forever. And that class was full of those people. But more importantly, my teachers. I was like, you were wait, you were on this cast album. I'd open up a leaflet and see my teacher's name. Yeah. Um, So that was, and then I was thriving in that school. I think. I just needed, I needed someone to tell me it was going to be okay, that I was okay. And those teachers were like the first people that I somewhat came out to. And I think it's very weird to come out without saying I'm gay, but the understanding, um, you know, when, uh, you know, when you date someone and he, they would say to me, you know, right. cause they knew, um, right. There was an ease to that, um, and and interestingly enough, if I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, like my teachers gave me. I remember my senior monologue was like Paul's monologue from a chorus line, where he talks about um, doing a drag show and and yeah. getting into drag, and this, and then six months later, there, there I am. So there was yeah. a lot of things that were right on the money, yeah. But it was the first time I felt like there is a whole world of people that I feel really connected to that are out there. And even though I feel rejected at home and church, but the fact that are, they,
1: they had no, there was no baggage with anything. They say you, uh, that they're just saying like, and uh, matter of factly, and he,
0: uh, you yeah. must've
1: been like, what, what this is. Yeah. Real? I wanted to ask if the church is still there. Is the church still there?
2: It is. And I occasionally Google it because I'm so curious because you know, it's, I feel like when people talk about things like grooming and indoctrination, when they talk about the queer community in that way, I'm like, that's so funny because the way you describe it is exactly what I experienced from heteronormative, um, you know, modern day evangelicals.
1: It's amazing. It's amazing to hear it from the horse's mouth. It was yeah. so heavy.
2: I'm like, you're projecting how you want the world to be based on your faith. And your faith tells you, you need to go out and get these people. Queerness does not tell you that.
1: Oh my God. I know. We're not groomers. We don't, we, even, we don't even want you. You are, you're an asshole. We're
2: yes. <laughs> picking up the pieces of the fucked up relationships that you broke with your kids who feel like nothing because of what you said and how you treated them. And what we're saying is we're encouraging these kids to love themselves as they are and telling them they have safe spaces. That's it.
1: And you're per and you were born perfect. You were born perfect. There's nothing wrong with you. You tell
2: your kids all the time, the number one thing, just be yourself unless it's that then don't be yourself.
1: So you graduate and you have, uh, you get cast in the role of angel at 18 youngest person ever to be cast in rent, uh, on Broadway. And you had nine callbacks. Is that true?
2: Girl, they really put you through it. Yeah. It was basically like casting casting director's assistant. Then then this this is, so I don't have an age or nothing. Right. So my friend who went from performing arts the year before me, she sees my senior showcase. She's like, you need to get with an agency. I was like, how am I going to do that? I'm going to call my agent. They don't have anybody like you, blah, blah, blah. It's Abrams. It's a bi-coastal agency. I don't know. Oh, uh, well, I know
1: Abrams. I was with them. Yeah.
2: yeah. So I like borrow my uncle's suit, which is yep. wildly ill-fitting, but I'm like, agent, got to be fancy. So right. I roll in. They give me sides, like audition material for like, you know, at, like NYPD Blue or something playing like, you know, Latin, some kind of drug dealer kid. And then I do them and she goes, Okay, it's great. Um, do you sing? And I said, Sure do. And she said, closes the office door. I sing three lines from uh, one song, Glory from Rent. She picks up the phone. I'm thinking she's getting me ejected. She calls the casting director. I have a kid in here today. Can you see him now? I know you're seeing people today. They say, Yes. I get an appointment that day. I took the blazer from that jacket, wrapped it around like a skirt, went to Dwayne Reed, got lip gloss, went no to way. the audition. I had a call this. back on the spot. I went to a pay phone to call the agency and she goes, can you come back in? We want to sign you. Got signed, call back the next day. Then it was like director's assistant, choreographer, director, two sets of the producers and Jonathan Larson's parents. And then the producers, oh. cause they first sent me. Yeah. And so it was just like a bunch, but it kept on going at the time. Everybody was auditioning that much. So people were like, Oh yeah, you, everyone goes in that much. And so when I finally got cast, um, it was a, it was a big deal, but then you also have imposter syndrome because you're working with people who have like Tony nominations and like, I've done like 15 Broadway shows, you know?
1: You know, but there's a gift it, it, it when you're that young and you don't know, you know what I mean? You don't know. Oh my God, this is, the, I can't fuck this up. You just think you're not going to fuck it up, but yeah. And you deserve 100%. to be there. What were, what were Jonathan Larson's parents like?
2: They were, they're still very involved with anything related to the production of any show. Alan and Nan Larson were like the resident parents. Like they were always at the theater. They were oh. so loving, so kind. I think, you know, every year on his birthday, we'd have like a cake or something. It was just a couple of years after he passed and I joined the company. And, you know, we're like, do you want to say anything? And they're like, they were always get misty and be like, we wish he was here to see this, you know? And they they never got never got over his passing. It was oh so my abrupt, God. and he never and got over. Timing
1: was awful. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I remember that well. Oh God! So you said that your mother, the reason uh, you went right to New York and were auditioning. I, I read that your mother wouldn't allow you to go to college for musical theater because it might encourage this. Ma- the
2: exact quote was, "It'll make you more that way." Hmm. Yeah. So I didn't go yeah. to, so I didn't apply. I mean, I, so you, you know, I mean,
1: did you feel like all the kids were applying and you were like,
2: everybody. And I was like, well, you know, I mean, it wasn't, it was very bizarre because I'd, I'd moved from Brentwood to a more affluent neighborhood closer to the church, which right. was predominantly white church. And, you know, I think I, again, I was really good at keeping secrets because I wasn't telling people about our past and, and what we had done at the previous churches and, You know, there's deep shame. There was always colorful language about where my dad was. And like, I was used to code switching and just kind of playing a role. So when it came to college, I would just dance around the issue.
1: Pun intended. Dance around. Get it? Pun intended. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think my reality was I'll just figure it out later. And I I, I just wanted to get out. Like, I just wanted to get out of the house. Yeah.
1: And you said that you loved playing Angel because it was like playing two characters because you had Angel and you had Angel, the drag queen. And that that really helped with your skills. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it was really important at the time because when I came into the show, I'd never known anything about drag queens. And so I remember the director saying, Jay, you're not a girl. You're a boy in a dress. And then he gave me a copy of Two Wong Fu on VHS, which I watched. Oh, wow. And then, you know, there's that part. Where I think it's like uh, I can't remember. One of the pers- Nagzima N- N- like, Jackson goes up to Chichi Rodriguez, played by John Leguizamo, and's like, "Little boy in a dress, why are you crying, little boy in a dress?" Yeah. So I model my performance after John Leguizamo's portrayal of Chichi, and I remember him saying, "Look, I know the instinct is you're wearing these these garments, but we don't we don't want to see a shift um, of now you're a different person. Right. It's." You have to find how these people relate, even though you visually look like two different people. And the power of that was, I think all of us have parts of ourselves, whether we are a business Judy or a mom Judy, there's some intersection, but we definitely behave and carry ourselves differently. And figuring out what that was, was really fun. Like how to relate moments of the more sparkly drag angel to when you're out of drag and tying it all together, not being so... Different was really fun in creating two separate vibes that kind of meshed perfectly.
1: Yeah, it, it, what it was—that was like graduate school for you.
2: One hundred percent.
1: Thank you so much for listening to part one of uh, my interview with Jay Rodriguez. This podcast was uh, produced by Laura Vogel, edited by Colin Schmeling, marketed and booked and scheduled by Brittany Joe Sowards. Uh, I got to meet her her in-laws this weekend. Very nice people. Oh, uh, just a reminder: this Thursday, I will be in Boca Raton, Florida, stand up for Israel at the Boca Black Box. Shows at seven and nine uh, this weekend. Eight the night the Friday night, and Saturday night off Cabot uh, in Beverly, Mass. One show at eight on Friday. Two shows on Saturday at 6:30 and 9 p.m. Shout out to the uh, Trinity College Bantams. From uh, as I record this, they are undefeated. I feel like a poo 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 because they do have a game today. Poo 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 poo, but they're doing great. And uh, yeah, I-, I just I I really cannot thank you enough for listening to the end, especially you, Sam, who I met in Philly. Um, I'm going to continue to speak out about Israel. If it annoys you and, and, and anti-Semitism, if it annoys you, then I'm so, I'm not sorry. It's it's something. You know, I never shut up about marriage equality for years. Uh, 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 constantly talking about equality, equality, equality. You know, I I am now. I've been a gay activist my whole life, and now I am a Jewish activist and advocate because this is not okay. And people from Israel, okay, who have been to the United States cannot believe the amount of anti-Semitism and said they don't feel safe here. So that that says a lot about about our country and what is going on. So um FYI 75% of Jews who don't live in Israel live in the United States. We have been kicked out of every country. We come here. We make, we made this country better. We contributed a lot to this country as we do to the world. And yet here we fucking go again and we're going to win. We're not going anywhere, people. We will survive. So on that note, I want to say have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for listening to uh, Kill Me Now. Please subscribe. Please leave a review. Please. Very important. Uh, for me to continue doing this, and um, also, I wanted to say, I keep hearing. No, I don't even want to say that. But I, I wanted to say, like everyone's like, I love your rants, and I was thinking, oh, should I do? Should I do a, um, what is it called? Patreon, where I just rant every week. I was thinking, but whatever, it doesn't matter. But those are things you can write to me about. And thank you, thank you, thank you. I love all of you. And as we always say, so long.